Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. Well, you're joining us for another in our series called Grace Stories. Every now and then we like to tell you how someone has been changed by the grace of God. And, of course, that's the end of all of our teaching anyway. So when we hear somebody's life changed, that just shows that God's Word really does make a difference. And that's why we also teach and preach grace on our Simply by Grace podcast. We're glad that you joined us. And uh, we hope that you've been uh, edified by some of the stories that you might have heard already. Uh, They always edify me and get me more excited about sharing that message of grace that changes people's life. So the story that you're going to hear today is from a woman we got to know in uh, Texas, and we heard her story. I heard her story. My wife and I were having dinner with her and some friends a year ago, and we heard her explain her story, and, and I said, you know, I told her, I think out loud, that I really would like to get that recorded on a podcast for other people to hear. And so that's what we're going to do today, a year later. I didn't want to do it on a Zoom call. I want to do it in person because it's much better that way. So we're talking to Susan Pooley, and she lives here in Texas. And um, uh, what do you want to tell us about your life that would help us understand where you are in life right now? And welcome. Well, thank you. Um, I'm honored to be here. Um, Well, I'm a widow and I live here in Texas. I was born and raised uh, right in San Antonio, Texas, about uh, 30 miles south of uh, New Braunfels, where I live now. Um, I was raised by uh, a wonderful man and woman and I have two brothers and four sisters, and we, um, we lived in a little house uh, the entire time that I was growing up, and we went to the Catholic Church, and my parents were devout Catholics and came from generations of Catholics, both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, we were, went to church every Sunday. We went on the, I guess the, I don't know, the, there are certain days that they require you to go to church and we went to those. We, uh, I went to a Catholic school, um, all through grade school and into high school until my junior year in high school and then I went to public school. My father was a blue-collar worker, and uh, the Catholic schools, of course, have a tuition. It's like going to a private school. And because our family was large, it got to the point where they couldn't afford to keep us all in uh, the Catholic school. And so then we started going to public schools. Mm -hmm. As a child growing up in Catholicism, were you... Were you very reflective about that as a child, or were you just going through the motions, or 
What was going on inside of you as you went to church? What were you thinking about? Uh, you know, some people are just tuned out and going because their parents make them go. Some people are actually engaged and, and have a spiritual experience. How, how was it for you? Well, um, I actually, um, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to, uh, of course, cause any shame to my parents. But we were taught to go to church every Sunday, and because of that, I was exposed to God. Now, on a personal level, I really did want to be a good girl when mm -hmm. I was growing up. I really did. In mm -hmm. fact, one of my little dreams was maybe I would become a nun, because they must really, really have mm. their act together. <laughs> Um, but I really wanted to be obedient and good. Uh, but as I grew up, I, I always felt doom and gloom because I couldn't be good, no matter how hard I tried. You, you had a, I, a sense that God wasn't happy with you? Right. And uh, my father was a loving father, but he was very strict. And um, it's kind of like you have a tendency to uh, give God some of the characteristics right. of your father. Exactly. And he was very strict. And if you didn't behave, we used to get whippings. <laughs> mm -hmm. Some of us know what those are still. <laughs> and uh, so I just... I, I really grew up with the fear of God. And, and that's not just afraid of him, but respect for him. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I wanted to be, uh, I really wanted to be good. And so I would go to confession and confess my sins. And it wouldn't be an hour later and I would be sinning again. And so you never, I never felt like I was going to be able to go to heaven mm -hmm. because I wasn't good enough. Never and I couldn't, enough. you know, you go to confession, you confess your sins to a, to a man instead of going to the Father. And, uh, and he would give you your repentance, which would be some Hail Marys and Our Fathers and whatever. And you would do that, and so then you would feel like, okay, now I'm clean. I'm going to stay clean, but you couldn't. And so in the, there were so many rules and regulations in the, in the Catholic religion. Like I could maybe go to heaven if I died as soon as I got out of confession. Hmm. <laughs> or maybe <laughs> if you're one of those who die, or, you know, is ill and you get the last rites, that was supposed to be the really key to go straight to heaven right there. Mm. But the rest of us, then when we died, we had to go to purgatory and we had to hopefully have people that were still alive praying for us to pray us out. Pray out of and purgatory. Pray us, pray that God would accept us. Sounds like you live with a lot of fear and very little peace about your spiritual uh, prospects. Exactly. And so I was, 
I, uh, I was really, really just, it was just a, a, you know, just like this cloud that was hanging over you all the time. Well, when you, so you went to public school, you started to mix with maybe a different crowd, people who saw things a different way. Did, were, did your thinking start to change uh, at all then? Or when did you start to question anything? If you... Uh, of course, going to public schools, you, you were, you were around people of all, you know, walks of life and walks of faith too. And it just wasn't in the forefront anymore. It just was, everybody seemed to be doing their own thing, just trying to get through life, doing stuff. But I was, you know, in high school, there was some people that would drink and cuss and do all kinds of things, and I dabbled in some of that. But what, it, what really made the difference to me was when I got married. I, you know, I married a non-believer. Uh, his parents went to the Church of Christ. And, um, of course, we got married in the Catholic Church, but he was not allowed to come onto the altar. We had to get hmm. married outside the altar. Really? And so, anyway, we got married in the church. I was still trying to follow my Catholic religion of sorts. But what, what happened then is I just didn't, we, I, then I quit going to church. And uh, one of the main reasons was that I wanted to take birth control pills. Hmm. Well, you cannot take birth control pills. You couldn't in the Catholic Church then. If you were, you were excommunicated. So I went through years of <clears throat> wanting to go to church, <clears throat> excuse me, but when I would go to church, I thought this is awful because if the priest knows that I'm taking birth control pills, I would be excommunicated. Hmm. And so I couldn't even go to church peacefully anymore. That's not a sin you can just confess and do, and do well, penance over? <clears throat> excuse me. You mm. can confess it, but when you confess it, that means you're going to stop doing it. Oh, okay. So I just quit going to church, but my heart longed for God. And uh, anyway... <clears throat> Were you, were you reading the Bible in your youth and high school Oh, years? heavens no. No? Our house, and when I was growing up, we had a Bible, a great big beautiful Bible on the coffee table, but no one ever opened it and read it. When you went to school, the Catholic schools, they you didn't read out of the Bible there either. You had, At church, you had a catechism, but they did not want you reading the Bible because you would misinterpret it. So I had never in my life opened a Bible and read. I hmm. was always... Never in your life? No. My goodness. So I'm married, and um, I have, my husband and I have two beautiful daughters. And, um, but my husband was an alcoholic, and... Uh, as I would be in and out of trying to go to church, but it never would work because, you know, I was sinning. 
And um, it went to the point where I finally, we separated, and we were separated for about three years. And nothing, things did not change or get better. And so I finally divorced. And um, at that point, a couple, actually, a couple that I, I've spoken of before, mm -hmm. they gave me, they saw my, my situation and reaching out to me, they gave me a Bible, a Ryrie study Bible. I started reading that Bible. <clears throat> of course, I wanted to start at the beginning <laughs> and read all of it. Mm -hmm. And so. Did you make it through Leviticus? No. So, about <laughs> this time. It's called the black hole of the Bible. People, people disappear there. <laughs> anyway, about this time, someone invited me to a Bible study in their home. A group of ladies were having a Bible study. So. I was intrigued and I went, and believe you me, I was so ingrained in the Catholic Church that it was like I was stepping into no man's land. Mm. I was not really allowed to do this kind of a thing. You were I'm feeling what, fear, fearful? Yes. Anxious? Anxious about, should I be doing this? No, what, what authority, and I even asked them, what authority do you have to teach the Bible? Wow. I mean, You asked was, them that? Oh, yes. Oh, okay. I just thought, you know, you can't do this. You, but I, to tell you the truth, I don't even remember if it was a, it was a six-week Bible study. I don't remember if it was Ephesians or, or Philippians. I don't know. It was just a, but it was the, the person get, teaching the Bible study or moderating it, what, however you want to say it, was uh, Dottie Duke, the astronaut's wife. Hmm. And when the study was over, when our six weeks was over, she invited me to go to lunch. The spirit was really prompting her to do that. And she invited me to lunch. And so I'm, you know, I don't even remember hardly anything about this because it all faded away. Because we were talking, I'm sure, about the Bible study, and then she just started going to certain scriptures in the Bible and pointing them out to me, and we would read them. And then she, uh, she came to Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that that was just like, I guess like the two men walking on the road to Damascus with Oh yeah. It was like all moment. of a sudden, uh, when I heard that, I realized I wasn't condemned. And uh, I, uh, I started to understand the written word. And uh, after that, I just was so hungry for the Word. I studied intensely uh, Bible study for 16 years. Mm -hmm. and, uh, After that? Yes. Yeah. So at this meeting where you, when you read that verse for the first time, uh, 
you've been living under this feeling of condemnation. Right, in, constant. In the Roman Catholic Church. Was it an instantaneous load that was released? Oh, uh, yeah, definitely. It, it was, uh, the way I described it, it was like, you know, the, where they say sometimes, like, the scales come off your eyes. Mm -hmm. It was like that. It was like, it was, it was, I mean, I'm not saying that there was some miracle or light or anything. I'm just saying in my spirit, there was a huge, huge change. Mm -hmm. I could understand. It's now I could see. Now I could believe. And now I understood what I was trying to believe. Mm -hmm. I was trying to believe that Jesus was my Savior. Mm -hmm. is, is there a point in time then that you recall where you actually, I mean, you knew about Jesus, his death, his resurrection, because you're brought yes. up with those historical facts. Exactly what point did that become personal, and not his history, but salvation for you? That point, right Just there. Right, right there, yes. sitting at lunch, just a realization. Yes. You didn't get down on your knees and weep and cry or walk to the front of the church. No. You didn't make any promises to no. God or uh, turn from all your sins. You just accepted the truth that was there in the scriptures. Yes. Well, that's what we call salvation by grace. It's a free yes. gift. There's nothing yes. we can do. Uh, and, and yet... That's the burden that was lifted. The, right there. Of having I didn't have to try to, to, to uh, say so many prayers, be a good girl, whatever. Although, because of my new relationship with Jesus, I, he knows my heart. He knows that that's, that's my desire, that that's what I want. And he gives me the power to overcome my flaws and my weaknesses. See, in the Catholic Church, too, there's all kinds of degrees of sins. Mm -hmm. Like there's venial sins, like, you know, telling a little white lie or gossiping, and then there's the mortal sins like murder and not going to church on Sunday. Those are kind of on the same level. Mm. And and then I, you know, then I was came to understand that sin is sin. It's falling short of God's best for you, and we can't do it. Mm -hmm. There's nothing we can do to get there because we're just. We're fallen nature. Yeah, just like we're saved by grace, we also live by grace and His power, yes. His strength. Now, the Catholic Church talks about grace. I mean, they, everybody yes. uses the word grace. But how did you perceive that word, maybe in relationship to the sacraments that were required? How, how, how was your view of grace in the Catholic Church? Can you remember? Um, it didn't compute at all to me. The Catholic Church, to me, was a set of rules and regulations, not just the Ten Commandments, but then the church-wide rules and regulations. They're just, uh, they're unbearable. Uh, you know, just, you know, from baptism to your death, it's just uh, rules and obligations and stuff, and if you don't do them, then you're sinning. Well, you can't ever, there is no grace. It's, and, uh, it's like being under the uh, Jewish law. Imagine it, the Jews exactly. carrying around the burden of trying to fulfill over 600 rules 
never having the peace that they were actually accepted by God. That's right. And uh, until, and, and unless a Jew comes to Jesus Christ as right. Savior and understands that he is their righteousness, not our own performance. So. But I can tell you that I went to Catholic schools and Catholic Church long enough to tell you that that is a mindset that is hard to come out of. I was 40 years old when I became a believer. Mm -hmm. I had 40 years of that roaming around in my heart and my head. And uh, it was, it was uh, you talk about relief <laughs> when I finally understood God's grace and his love. I mean, his sacrificial love. <clears throat> you know, the, the thing that's so, that I, I can't understand is that they, you know, I, I, because my family is mostly Catholics, I go to Catholic weddings and a lot of Catholic funerals. Mm -hmm. And they're so, even, even at the funerals, it's just, it's just still doom. They're talking to people, and I pray for these people so they'll get out of purgatory and pray that God will accept them. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, they never have peace. They don't have peace to know that their relative is going to heaven. Or now anything. that you're a serious Bible student, have you found anything in the Bible to support the idea of purgatory or praying for people in purgatory? Uh, no, but I think it's, I was told, I think it's in the, you know, the Catholic, the King James Bible the Catholics use is the same one <clears throat> that everyone else uses, but they just have extra the, books that, yeah. that the Pope has decided was the can part mm -hmm. of their canon. And, and some of those are Maccabees 1 and 2. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where that comes in. Oh, okay. It might be in the Maccabees. Yeah. Maccabees is actually good history. It's good, yes. good accurate history, but uh, some of the other books are pretty fantastical and uh, not theologically consistent with what we believe, and that's why they right. never made the, mm -hmm. the Protestant mm -hmm. canon. In fact, my understanding is the Catholic canon uh, didn't canonize those apocryphal books until Martin Luther had his little uh, go around with the church. But wow. his, his whole thing was, you know, indulgences, and he saw nothing in the scripture that said you can pay for somebody to get out of purgatory. And so he questioned things from a scriptural perspective, and yeah. here we are today. Well, you mentioned your family. Um, how, did, how did they respond to you? Were you, did you come on strong to them, or subtle, or are you afraid to tell them, or how did that go? Well, I, I was hesitant, probably, to tell them, but uh, that all happened around the time that I, I was getting a divorce. And I think they just, my family was kind. They just wrote it off as this is the way I was dealing with my life situation, that I became a Bible freak. And it'll wear off. Yeah, probably, I'm kind right? of, you know, off into some kind of a little, this is the way I'm finding my way is to just study the Bible. And so, and um, of course, I don't it's been going on for another 40 years, so. <laughs> you think they're convinced you're serious by now? Yes, they are. They are. And, uh, well, I, I hope you've been able to share the Lord with them in your lifestyle and your attitudes and your words and, and it's so forth. A, it's, a, it's, a, 
it's a guarded thing because they are, I mean, when, when you're going, when you grow up in the Catholic Church, they tell you that this is the one true church and all the rest of them are not. And so you believe that. The first time I went to another church, a Baptist church, I, it was kind of like I kept looking over my shoulder or looking up thinking something awful was going to happen to me. That's how ingrained that is. And so um, it's just they, my family thinks that I'm, it's kind of like you're a traitor, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a, there's a cultural aspect to it, the, yeah. the guilt that follows. That that happens to a lot of people coming out of uh, even the Church of Christ, I hear, people testifying about that, and and then the other cults, religions, or world religions. Mm -hmm. They have such a cultural influence on us and family influence on us, it makes it very, very difficult. Yes. it's It just makes it really, really difficult. And... Uh, my, I have a younger sister who is a, is a believer. She does not go to the Catholic Church, and uh, she and I are constantly sharing the gospel to our family. Hmm. And some of them are will listen patiently, and others are offended. And so we have to when we. When we do talk, we have to be a little guarded and not sound pushy, but we actually have our Bibles out and back what we say with Scripture. But see, even, even there, they, they look at your Bible and it doesn't say Catholic Bible on it. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's, it's just so hard. Yeah. Um, I'm, <clears throat> I'm more comfortable just walking up to anyone else and s speaking the gospel than I am to my own family. I think that a lot of people would agree that your family is kind of the hardest people to talk yes. to. And sometimes, in, in like in my case, you get excited and you come on a little too strong at first. Yes. <laughs> you know, because you're so happy for yourself and you want them to be happy. Yes. Uh, but they just aren't seeing things the way you're seeing them. And uh, I think that's where it really becomes important to pray. And yes. oftentimes pray, uh, not so much what I say, but what I pray that others will say to them as they go through their lives, that others will encounter them and share the gospel with them. Yes. And uh, we pray that their their eyes will open up to the truth, just like your eyes opened up. <clears throat> now, since you've discovered the grace of God, now I know that you're active in serving God because you're on the missions committee at your church here. And that's why really uh, uh, we kind of got to know each other very well because you keep in touch with us as uh, missionaries for the church. Um, are you doing anything else in serving the Lord? You're doing it because you want to, not because you have to now. <laughs> Uh, so you're doing it just uh, out of gratitude, I'm sure. Is there yes. anything else that you're doing to share God's grace? Uh, yes. Um, <clears throat> of course, I'm a, a more of a behind-the-scenes person, so I, uh, I also am on the committee that does communion uh, at church, 
and um, we meet for prayer before uh, Sunday. Um, just meet with the pastor to pray, uh, and I. That's one of the things that I want to do. The power of prayer is is just unbelievable. When you're when you are saved by grace, and that that barrier between you and that was the sin had between you and God is gone, and you can. Uh, you can go before God and pray to Him, and He's there with you. It's, it's just uh, amazing. And when you meet with other like minds and you come together and pray, mm. it is, uh, it's a taste of heaven. Mm. Yeah, amen. Can, can I just ask you, since your communion was such a big part of the Catholic faith, and it's a big part of uh, the Protestant faith in, our, in your church, in our church, uh, can you explain real quickly, briefly, how your understanding of communion has come to change? Because somebody might listening hear your you mentioned communion. Mm -hmm. How do you see it now? Well, in the Catholic Church, it is a you know it's a sacred, sacred thing, and um, it's it literally comes with whistles and bells. <laughs> mm -hmm. But they believe that the actual, they call it the Eucharist, that after the priest bless it, it actually becomes the body and blood of Christ. That is a, just a Catholic church add-on. The, what really communion is, it's a time to come together and remember, mm. remember, please remember what Christ, mm. what God the Father did by sending his son to do this horrific uh, payment of sin to atone for my sins. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost like, I, I just don't understand why they don't understand that they keep crucifying Christ over and over again when he just died once for all and that took care of every sin of every man uh, from years past from the, those that, that are being committed now and those that are going to be committed in the future and each one of us is walking in one of those little periods of time and all of those sins are paid for mm -hmm. We don't have to, there, there's no other payment that's good enough. Can you, can you explain a little bit about what you mean when you say the Roman Catholics continue to crucify Christ? Some may not be familiar with that aspect. Well, uh, and this is just my, my perception of that. Um, it's like what he did wasn't good enough and that we have that we have to do more. I mean, what more can be done than what he did? And that we have to keep doing more. And this, this conception of changing his, the, the host into the body and the, wine, the juice into the, 
although I think they use some of them use a little wine. A mm -hmm. lot of priests have gotten a lot of trouble there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In this very town, actually. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> but anyway, that that is the blood. It that is the blood and the body of Christ. And in that and, sense, and they're re-crucifying him each time yes. you take the, the communion or mass. I don't know if that's what they think, but that in my little mind, that's what. Uh, why are you? Why do you keep doing that? Yeah. He didn't ask us to do that. He asked us to please remember this, mm -hmm. to remember this day that he was getting ready to go give his life. Just remember this. This is my new covenant with you. I'm giving my body and my blood to make a new covenant. No, no, the old covenant is out of date, expired. I think that that might be a good word to end on. It reminds us of why Jesus came and reminds me of the book of Hebrews, which talks about Jesus giving his life once and for all, the one eternal sacrifice for sins forever. Yes. And it does, we don't need continual sacrifices. We don't need the blood of bulls and goats, and we don't need to crucify Jesus continually. He's been crucified once and for all, for all, as you said, for all of our sins. And now, now you have the understanding and the confidence that you're completely forgiven, right? Right. Forever. And if you were to die today, I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus. Amen. So. The, you know, it's kind of like I, I always want to say, why me? We all do. Grace of God. Yeah. The grace of God. Well, we see the emotion in your... In your <laughs> well, it's just that I'm definitely not worthy. Uh, but that's just it. None of us are worthy. No. But he longed to be in communication with us. And that's the only way he could do it. It's hard to understand that God loves us that much. Yeah. And why me? I don't know. And why you? But praise the Lord. Yes. He loves everybody in the world that much. And uh, thank you for sharing that, your story with us, Susan. But he loves everybody in the world that much if we could only accept that love and it's so hard to accept that love sometimes because as you say sometimes we grow up thinking about god like we think about our own father he's very strict or he's very aloof or very detached or some people grow up with a fatherless home and they project that onto their idea of god and somewhat true of my own situation but the answer to that is to understand that god is a heavenly father and jesus says if you know me if you've seen me you've seen the father and Jesus was none of that. He was all, all love and all grace towards us, full of grace and truth. And if we can understand that our fathers themselves were sinners and fall short of God's glory, and that Jesus is the only one who's perfect, and through him we can know a perfect heavenly father, and he can put the pieces together for us. He died on the cross as the one eternal sacrifice for our sins, sufficient for every sin, and all sin, as you said, is sin against God. And by trusting in what he's done for us in our place, we can have the gift of eternal life. And it doesn't matter if you are called a Roman Catholic or a Protestant or a Church of Christ, or if you're called a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness, if you come to believe in the Jesus Christ who died for your sins and rose from the dead and ask him for the gift of eternal life, he will give it to you.
So if you're listening today and you don't have that confidence, just say, Lord, I believe that I'm a sinner, that you died for my sins, and that you rose again from the dead, and that you will give me eternal life, and you will be saved. There's nothing else that you have to do or promise or any kind of church to join. And so that's what we're trying to say to you today. So we want to thank Susan for being with us, sharing her story. She says she's not real comfortable doing this kind of thing, recording <laughs> like this, but she did great, and we appreciate that. And we want to thank you for listening, and you can find more resources at gracelife.org. The podcast is called Simply by Grace, and uh, we will be telling more of these stories, and you can go back and listen to some of the older ones, and you'll be blessed by them too. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you would, and like us. And because if you do that, you'll get we'll get a wider audience, and more people will hear this kind of wonderful story. So thank you for being with us today. Until we see you again, grace and peace. Thank you for listening. For more resources or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.